This is the Pain Information Network, 42. Well, I'm pretty excited. I've got a number of distinguished guests that uh, I interviewed at this last week when I was at the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians meeting. That's ASIP. You can check them out at ASIPP.org. And it's a dynamic society of interventional pain physicians and regular pain physicians and just docs interested in practice of pain medicine from controlled substances to procedural-based and everything in between. It's run by some of the most important people I think you could ever experience the pleasure of knowing in pain medicine. Dr. Lax Manchikanti and a support staff led by Melinda Martin. Melinda and I go back quite a ways, and she is the fabric of that organization. Among others, I'm going to name them all, and they'll be embarrassed, but that's the way it goes. So today, I'm going to take off with uh, Ramson Benyamin, a medical doctor who is in Illinois, and I'll let him tell a story, but he's got credentials. This guy's got chops. He is not only one of the most respected pain management physicians in the country, he was president of uh, the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians yet once, yet twice, and he's a real thought leader. It's fun to listen to him because he's just so doggone down to earth, and I know his patients love him. He's a wealth of information, and he is involved in studies. So here's a guy that's practicing pain medicine. Uh, he's a street doc, just like like I am, but he also does studies at the professorial level. He's a, a full professor. So he's not only academic, but he's also, uh, as I always say, in the weeds. He's He's doing the right things for the right reasons. He's affiliated with great people as well. He did a tremendous study. Uh, I think that's going to change how we approach spinal stenosis. And I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about that. I'll also uh, want to talk a little bit about some spinal conditions. Let's face it, these are spinal guys and gals, and they're here learning some very advanced and very exciting uh, spinal techniques from regenerative medicine all the way through to some exciting studies that Dr. Benyamin is doing on spinal stenosis. So he's going to tell you a little bit about what spinal stenosis is and tell him a little bit about himself. Hans, thank you very much for having me. But... uh As you know, I'm a practicing interventional pain doctor, and I founded this Millennium Pain Center in Illinois, and currently we are a group of six or seven uh, physicians with about six or seven uh, mid-levels, and we provide service to thousands of patients throughout uh, North, Central, and South, South Illinois be so shy. You've got an incredible amount of uh, academic credentials, too. Well, you know, I'm a faculty at the University of Illinois, uh, Urbana-Champaign, and also I'm a junk professor at Illinois Wesleyan University. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, becoming a professor at anything is something that not only takes a lot of clinical acumen, but you have to have, you have, to have the smarts. You've got to have published. You have got to be right in the game. And um, you're a producer. Now, one of the things that I, I think is pretty fascinating is this problem that we have to deal with spinal stenosis. Let's face it, spinal stenosis is just living well. 
It's a process of aging we all go through, but we, we can also be born with it. There's all sorts of different types of spinal stenosis. But most importantly, uh, as it relates to our discussion today, you just had a paper completed uh, where you studied spinal stenosis. Tell us about that. Well, as you know, Hans, the treatments for spinal stenosis for years were confined to either doing epidurals and more epidurals and more epidurals, and then if it failed, which they would most of the time, eventually, uh, we were sending patients to have open surgeries. Now, a few years ago, uh, a new treatment came along, which was minimally invasive. It was a percutaneous, meaning that didn't require cutting of the skin. It went through the skin. It went uh, without general anesthesia and uh, achieved almost similar results with much less complication rates. So uh, this treatment was available to all the Medicare uh, patients until two, three years ago where Medicare issued a non-coverage policy. And therefore, in order to uh, make the treatment available, CMS requested a study to be done under their auspices. And we embarked on this about a year and a half ago, and uh, we just published uh, uh, six-month results of a, a multi-center uh, a randomized trial comparing the epidural steroid injections to this procedure that's called the mild procedure. And uh, the results are pretty significant at six months, and we're waiting to publish the one-year results soon. Tell me about the six-month results. What do you see? Uh, we saw significant improvement not only in pain, but also quality of life and uh, disability index in these patients. And, you know, there is a, a special tool for uh, measuring the outcomes in spinal stenosis, and that's uh, the uh, Zurich questionnaire, which patients did extremely better in the mild uh, group. Yeah, I want everybody to understand, this is no little deal. We're at this course learning how to do it better. There's, so, there's better things than a scalpel, and scalpels have been around for 150, 200 years. It doesn't matter. But we now have imaging techniques. We now have ways to look at um, moving a needle forward or a, a special device forward, and we can visualize where we're heading in a minimally invasive way. What minimally invasive means is there's really no cutting. It's, it's a small, maybe minimal incision, a tenth of a centimeter, something like that. We advance it forward. We can open up stenotic areas. But this particular procedure is going to save millions, if not billions, in uh, downtime, uh, recovery, and it's, it can be done by a larger group of physicians, so access to care is improved. Wouldn't you say that? You know, Hans, that was a great point you brought up. I remember I had a conversation with a spine surgeon who was telling me, you know, how could you be safer if I am opening uh, the patient's back and I'm looking at it? And... Uh, which, uh, you know, that's a two-dimensional vision because when you're looking directly at an object, you're uh, looking at it in a, 
two-dimensional view, and you don't have a perception of the depth. So a lot of times, you know, I'm a recovered anesthesiologist, so <laughs> I used to do anesthesia for these cases. And in the middle of case, while they were removing tissues to open up the space, all of a sudden you'll see the field flooded with uh, spinal fluid, which meant that they had gone too far. Now, the beauty of these minimally invasive procedures, including MILD, is that you're doing it under image guidance, and image guidance gives you that third dimension, which is the depth, so that you know how far not to go, basically your safety board. That's correct. That's a hallowed comment called depth direction, depth direction. I sleep with that comment. I hear that comment. And uh, God bless uh, Dr. Gabor Rax, one of the greatest uh, names in pain medicine. Uh, he's taught us that over the past 35 years. Knowing your depth, knowing your direction can be everything for safety. Now, there's some problems and complications with this mild procedure. Um, compare the two, uh, traditional spinal surgery versus mild. Uh, significantly less. Among all those patients who have been studied for mild procedure, which is about now about 14 publications so far, um, we have had the least number of complications compared to about 20% uh, complication with open or endoscopic uh, surgery for spinal stenosis. And the majority of those are dural tears and uh, transfusion. And we have seen only one case of dural tear that was reported among those patients who have been uh, in the study. That's awesome. Um, the other thing is anesthesia. Uh, comment a little bit about that. Oh, uh, that's uh, another big point. You know, Hans, these patients are usually old and frail, and they have a million medical problems. So, and you know as an anesthesiologist that doing general anesthesia in the prone position is a bigger risk. So, uh, imagine you're totally eliminating that, and you're doing this procedure under local anesthetic. Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. And, we and have, they go home the yeah, same that's, day. Yeah, that's the next comment I was going to say. And they have a minimal recovery time. So let's just say you go in in the morning, you have your procedure, and you're out playing with the dog in the afternoon. Can you say that's realistic? <laughs> yes, playing the, with the dog on your lap. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Dr. Benyon, I want to I ask you this. Um, I'm going to make a side comment, first of all. Um, I do personally think it's completely responsible that Medicare really looks at studies and they really look at procedures uh, for best outcome. It doesn't have to be perfect outcome, but evidence that something works. I hate the term evidence-based medicine because it's so abused, but evidence that what they're doing for the right reason is getting a positive clinical outcome. So I, I agree with them putting the brakes on this procedure. I don't think the company liked it, but... What we, we are is responsible first to the patient and second uh, to our, our payers that have, well, frankly, just so much money. So we, we have to put it in this context. They are, do you agree they're responsible for asking for these studies? I, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, um, they are responsible for the community, the society in general, to make sure the best available treatments proven with the proven track record are offered 
and implemented in uh, patients covered by CMS. Yeah, and I'll be talking about it in a later episode. They go through a lot of steps, and it eventually leads to something called an LCD or local coverage determinant in which physicians have involvement with, and then they invite others to participate, including everybody in the listening audience in America, you can actually write in for comments. So when they reintroduce this mild procedure through a local coverage determinant that's on cms.gov, you can search it, they'll ask for your comments. Is this something you want to see? And in my opinion, um, this is a forward-thinking medical procedure. And anytime we can avoid surgery, we're winning. What are some of the complications of surgery? You know, Hans, what you mentioned about uh, making comments and making sure that your voice is heard. You know, our uh, democracy allows and actually demands that public get involved in these processes and their voice get heard. But as you know, we have struggled uh, at times at ASIP trying to make pain physicians, you know, make these comments and send their letters. But I would suggest you always rely on ASIP as your voice and follow their uh, guidance as far as what needs to be done, what letters need to be sent, what comments need to be made in a timely fashion. As far as the complications, um, you know, with the open surgeries, if you rely on the biggest study that was ever published, that's the sports study. Right. You know, you look at that, the majority of the complications, the significant ones, were either dural tear, which results in longer stay in the hospital and more uh, risk of uh, side effects like headache and maybe at times even infection, and also bleeding. These were the two most common, which uh, they totaled almost about 19% of the cases. So if we can reduce that, you can imagine we can reduce the amount of uh, hospital stay and with that comes the cost of these procedures. You know, we are living in the days of value-based uh, practice of medicine, and value means providing the best quality with the least amount of dollars. So we need to work on that. Right. The thing is, with the uh, aging population, they don't tolerate pain medicines as well. So if we have a procedure like MILD that can minimize these opioids and their potential downsides and their potential complications, also post-surgical risk, infection, post-laminectomy syndrome, other things we'll talk about later. Um, We're winning all day long. So, well, I want to thank you for coming on board and uh, giving us your thoughts on spinal stenosis. I'm going to corner you for some more things if you'll you'll let me have my way with you. But uh, thanks again, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Well, I know you got a lot out of that. I uh, think that we're going to revisit spinal stenosis and just keep going back to it because so many people suffer from it. It's truly a, a life-debilitating problem when you get it. It is a process where just time usually, uh, I call it living good, uh, takes over the spine, mostly the lower part of the spine. It can be the cervical segments, and it starts squeezing. It's kind of like there's not enough room in there. And it interferes with blood flow. It can cause uh, problems with walking. 
It causes problems with most range of motion and can put people uh, flat slap to bed and eventually to surgery. So if we have an option to surgery, yahoo, we're winning. We're winning. So some of the symptoms you may be encountering with uh, this problem Big words, uh, neurogenic claudication. That's where you walk and all of a sudden your legs start cramping. Now, this is this is really key. You need to see a qualified physician. Uh, sometimes this claudication is from blood vessels being squeezed up. So you're wa- walking and your legs don't get enough oxygen, and so they start cramping. Well, they may start cramping because your spine is uh, cramping. So... Be sure if this is one of your symptoms that you get checked out. Also, neurogenic uh, claudication is sometimes relieved by leaning forward, so it feels better to walk up the stairs or lean forward on the shopping cart. So if you see that sort of thing and you see somebody bent over and they're walking the shopping cart down the lane, you kind of got an idea they may have spinal stenosis. So maybe ask them to listen to the podcast, but rule out the medical issues first. I appreciate everybody listening. Go to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. It really helps us rank. Other people can follow us then. And uh, we'll have quite a few more interviews to follow. I appreciate Dr. Ben Yaman. I appreciate everybody at ASIP. And uh, we had a great course. I will talk to you soon.